I'm getting a workout this morning, all this up and down. But now it's my privilege, it's my honor to welcome our guest speaker today. He's actually going to be with us for a couple of days. Uh, Pastor Rufus Smith from Memphis, Tennessee. He pastors Hope Presbyterian Church just outside of Memphis, a large church, uh, a multi-ethnic, diverse church. And Pastor Smith, we are delighted to have you and your wife, Jacqueline. There she is with us today. And I want you to join me in giving this godly man who God is using in some incredible ways, not just in Memphis, Tennessee, which historically, and I can say this because I lived there, has been a highly segregated city. He's using you in that city, but he's also using you around the country and the world. We are honored, brother, that you are here with us. Come and share with us. Thank you, sir. The Word of God is alive and powerful. It is sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces asunder between the joints and the marrow, the soul and the spirit, and it is a critic of our thoughts and the intent of the heart. All scripture is God-breathed, and as such it is profitable for reproof, rebuke, correction, and instruction in righteousness. The psalmist has said, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stand in the way of sinners, nor sit in the seat of the scornful. But his delight, his delight, his delight is in the law of the Lord. And it's in that law does he meditate, does she meditate day and night. And as a result, he or she shall be like a tree that's planted by the rivers of water. Leaves will not wither, fruit will come in due season, and whatsoever he does, she does, shall prosper. Jesus Christ, the master chef, said, it is written, it is written, it is written, that man cannot live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God shall a man live. I believe as you do that the word of God is untainted and unmixed with error, that it is divine in its origin, inspired in its totality, inexhaustible in its adequacy, regenerative in its power, comforting and convicting to the soul, personal and social in its application. Turn with me to the word of God in Matthew chapter 10, verses 35 through 38, Matthew's gospel, 10th chapter, 35th, through the 38th verse. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore to send the workers into 
his harvest field. How would Jesus harvest DePage County? How would Jesus harvest West Chicago? Pray with me. Gracious God, our Father, we thank you afresh for the total sufficiency of Jesus Christ, the supply of your spirit, and the fellowship of saints. We ask now that you would teach our minds, control our emotions, govern our behavior, and transform our lives. In fact, as we sit here, we ask that you would save us from being unduly distracted by the daily details of life. And for the time that we are gathered, that we would center our focus on Jesus Christ, the life-giver King. For it's in his name do we pray and praise. Amen. I'm delighted that you have invited me to be here uh, at the Great Wheaton Bible Church. Thank you to Pastor Boo and uh, to Matthew and Kyle and all of your staff uh, for risking their reputations <coughs> and inviting me to come. I am especially grateful for that. Um, quite frankly, I do not take a lot of invitations to churches unless there is a caveat. And uh, the caveat for me was meeting with your staff and other members on tomorrow and on Tuesday, and the fact that you really want to be a church for the community. 20 years ago, 93% of churches in America were homogenous. That is all white, all black, all brown, or all whatever a particular ethnicity in a multicultural country. Today, that is 87% still. Um, Sunday morning is the most segregated hour in America. Well, I was um, delighted to be able to come because you want to defy that status quo. And you want to look like, reflect the Church of Jesus Christ here in West Chicago and uh, in particular and at large. So let me encourage you to keep on doing what you are doing because you are on the cutting edge. And as demographers have said, any church really who does not really become a church for the community to their surrounding area will be irrelevant in 20 years. But that's not where you're going. So thank you for moving in this direction and your aspirations to be a church that reflects black and white, yellow and brown, rich and poor, up and down, Republicans and Democrats, liberals and conservative, hawks or dove, you believe it really doesn't matter as long as Jesus Christ is the center and circumference, the sum and substance, and the basis and boundary of all that we ever hope to be. So appreciatively applaud God for yourselves for moving in that direction, would you? So excited uh, to be here for that. My wife is here as well. Uh, she's been laboring with me for 34 years. I want her to stand. She is the apple in my pie, the peach in my cobbler, the sugar in my plum. 
Jacqueline Sue Johnson Smith. She uh, had a lapse in judgment 34 years ago, <laughs> but she kept her commitment. In fact, she says today that in our 34 years, it's been 21 of the best years of her life. <laughs> Some of you will catch that on the way home. Now, I have about 30 minutes or so uh, to preach. My time is already clicking down, and um, if I'm going to finish on time, then I need you to say amen. amen. If you hear the truth, and if you're not comfortable with amen, say um, hear, hear, <laughs> or, or tally-ho, old chum, or something. <laughs> if you hear something that's true. Let's practice that. A. Well, no, that means I've got to be here another hour. <laughs> How would Jesus harvest the page counting? Right here in the divinely inspired written word, we don't have to guess. He tells us. Now, I wasn't raised in church. I was raised in cafes and bars, beer joints, juke joints, whatever you call them. My paternal grandmother on my father's side and my maternal grandmother on my mother's side, plus my great aunt, all on cafes. And so um, that's where I matriculated. I didn't come to church until my pre-adolescent years. And when we moved out into a certain neighborhood, V.L. Johnson and his wife came and knocked on my stepfather's front door. And he asked, can we have mission in your house on Monday nights? Now, mission in those days was like uh, Bible study. Now, we didn't go to church, but to be neighborly, my father said, okay. And then he sat us down and said, listen, us four kids, some people are coming to have church on Monday night, and I want you to pay attention, and you better not go to sleep. If you do, I'm going to be on you like white on rice. And so I never forgot that. So they came that Monday, and uh, they brought a Bible that I'd never seen, a hymn book, and they sung songs that I'd never heard, prayers which I'd never heard. Now, I was raised in the beer joints, and one of my joys as a kid was helping the jukebox man change the records. So I was in on the latest records long before my peers. You know, James Brown, I feel good. I was used to high tempo, loud music. They came in singing. Slow, mute. I mean, it took them so long to get the words out. It was amazing grace. How sweet. Get, get it over already. Honestly, it was the most boring I had ever been a part of. And I was ready to, I mean, I was falling asleep until I heard him say, I'll be on you like white on rice. And then I, I woke up. Now, here's the kicker. On the way out, uh, Brother V.L. Johnson said, can we come back next Monday night? And to my chagrin, he said, yes. So they came that Monday night. They came another Monday night, another Monday night. And finally... They invited us to the Raw Terrace Missionary Baptist Church. They had church at 7 a.m. in the morning. That's what time it started. And we were cafe people. The, the joint didn't open to noon. 
And we had to get up at 5.30 to get ready to go to church. So we walked in late, of course. They didn't have carpet. Since we were visitors, walked us down on the wooden floor, set us down front. But I had never been in a building where I felt such serenity and tranquility. And people were actually joyous without alcohol. I'd never seen that. Without carousing, without foolishness. And it made an indelible impression in my soul. The church. And so I made a profession of faith in Christ. And I came to faith and started practicing that faith. All because D.L. Johnson and his wife knocked on my stepfather's front door. And I'm in the kingdom today, and so are you. In the words of John R. W. Stott, because the hound dog of heaven chased me down. And he did it through a person. So let's look at this text. How would Jesus harvest? The first thing we read is that Jesus went. So he went. He went. He went throughout the villages and the cities. He left from where he was to go to where he hadn't been before. He went. Unlike the rabbis and unlike the Sadducees and Pharisees of his day, Jesus had a pedestrian mentality, and he went out among the people. He went to cities. These were walled areas. He went to villages. These were unwalled areas. Today, we would call them guarded or gates, gated communities. He went to ungated communities. He went throughout the cities and the villages. He left where he was so he could be proximate to the problem proximate to the people, and that's how he wants you and I to do. He went. He left where he was. He did not wait for them to come to him. He went to them, so he went. In fact, before we get to verse 35 in this passage, Jesus has already had in Matthew 9 seven encounters with people who he went about and saw seven encounters three of them were people of means like Jairus's daughter uh, Jairus and his daughter four of them were people who were under resource or poor let me repeat before we get to verse 35 he's already had seven encounters in this chapel three were people of means four were people who were under resource because Jesus was an equal opportunity harvester and so he went he didn't wait for them to come to him. He went to them, proximate to people, proximate to the pain with a pedestrian mentality. He not only went, but he did something else. He saw. This pastor said that he, he saw and the people were helpless and harassed like a sheep without a shepherd. What did he see? He saw they had physical needs, and he saw they had spiritual needs. When you go, you will see. And to be honest, if I'm honest with myself, or you're honest with yourself, sometimes I don't want to go because I don't want to know. I repeat that. Sometimes I don't go 
because I don't want to know. But Jesus went and he saw. He saw people who were helpless, who were harassed, who were hopeless. He saw people who were weak and wounded, wandering and without. He saw people who were disillusioned, who were disappointed, who were disconnected like sheep without a shepherd. He went and he saw. And not only did he go and he see and saw, but he did something else. He acted. He acted. This is what he did. He went throughout the villages and the cities teaching in their synagogues, preaching or proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing their diseases or sicknesses and afflictions. Did you notice that? He acted with the threefold emphasis of the gospel, preaching, teaching, and healing. The gospel in its totality involves all three. Sometimes we're good at preaching, other times good at teaching, but not preaching. Other times good at healing, but not preaching and teaching. The gospel in its totality, what Jesus was, was, healing, was preaching, teaching, and healing. Preaching is the proclamation of a person. That's Jesus Christ. Teaching is the explanation of truth. That's the holy word of God. And healing is the mitigation of human pain. Without all three, it's not the totality of the gospel. That's a good place to say amen. amen. He went and he saw and he acted. In fact, the Bible uses the word he had compassion on them. So when we get our Greek word spleen, that means it's inner, it's our bowels, it's our deepest emotion. When Jesus went out and saw the physical needs and the spiritual needs of the people in his soul, in his gut, he, mm, that's what compassion is. It's, it's a guttural groan. He saw and he had compassion and he, mm, Sympathy plus action is compassion. Sympathy plus inaction is nice. It's a kind way of doing nothing. And if we're not careful, we'll have sympathy, but inaction and be nice. A kind way not to get involved and to do nothing. One of the things I love about you and your church is with the Puente um, ministry, you saw when you relocated out here, you decided that we're going to be a community church that is going to reach out to the people who God has put around us. We're not going to insulate and isolate and just be our own enclave. And so I praise God for that. You saw with compassion and had sympathy plus action, which equals compassion. Not sympathy plus inaction, which is just being nice and a kind way to do nothing or to stay on the sidelines. So he went and he saw and he acted and then he said, he said, what did he say? It's important what we say. What did he say? He said, the harvest, not the hopeless. 
He didn't say it's too hard. He didn't say these are hellions. He didn't say these are pagans, these are heathens. No, he said this is a harvest. It's important what we say. Are we seeing as Jesus is seeing? He said the harvest is ripe. The timing is right for God to do what he wants to do. It's a harvest. It's not too hard. Let me get back to the story. So we got in church. We were there for a couple of years. And I really got involved, started learning about the faith, practicing my faith. And then all of a sudden, we just stopped going to church, just overnight, just stopped. I didn't know why. My parents didn't tell us why until much later on. But what had happened was my father had become a deacon. And um, when he went on a fishing trip with some of his uh, buddies, um, as a Baptist, you don't, you don't drink. Uh, I'm a Presbyterian, so I don't have that problem. But... And so that's what he was taught. And coming out of the cafe life, that's what he thought. He just stopped cold turkey, and he went on a fishing trip and saw some buddies and went in the cooler, and guess what he saw? He saw alcohol, and it devastated him. That kind of underbelly of what he considered hypocrisy disillusioned him, and we stopped going to church, just stopped completely. And I didn't learn that till later on. Now I'm 15 years old. A bunch of us are playing in the streets, and... And down the street comes this car. It's a 1970 Gremlin, black and gold stripes. And it comes down. It's canvassing the neighborhood. It's going so slow. So I get out in front, and I beckon for the person to hurry up and come. But I didn't use my index finger. And uh, that car came right up, stopped in the middle of the street. The gentleman got out of the car, looked dead at me, six-foot-five Marine, he was dressed to the nines, three-piece suit, vest, wingtip shoes. And in his deep baritone voice, he said, son, come here. Ah. <laughs> I knew he was going to go tell my parents of my disrespect of giving him the finger that they were going to lay the board of education to my seat of learning. <laughs> but he didn't do that. He didn't do that. You know what he said? He said, listen. Are these your friends? I said, yes, sir. He said, if you tell them they can come to choir rehearsal on Saturday night, you don't have to play in the street. You can play in the field. I'll put a basketball goal. You can play baseball. You can play football on the church's ground. I said, that sounds pretty good. Went caucus with the fellas. They all agreed. That Saturday night, he had 17 people in the choir. 17. Let me show you a picture of Reverend Othell Shaw. There he is. That's how he dressed all the time. <laughs> Listen, when he came down that street canvassing the community, he didn't see us as a bunch of hellions and hoodlums and too hard. He saw a harvest. And it was not just him saying, son, come here. It was God the Father saying, son, come home. Listen, that's what you're doing. It's a good place to say amen. When you are ministering to the community around you, though it looks different and some of the languages are different, you are doing what God has called you to do. You are seeing a harvest. 
Not that it's too hard. It is not easy, but it's not too hard. He saw a harvest, and there are people that God is calling, and they need you with preaching and teaching and healing to help them go. I don't know about you, but when I was lost, he sought me. I was minding my own business, but he sought me. And when I was falling, he caught me. And when I was worthless, he bought me. And in my ignorance, he taught me. In my disobedience, he fought me. From whence I've come, he brought me. And where I'm going, he'll have to exalt me. He made the first move. He went and he saw and he acted and he said, it's important, how you see it and what you said. And then lastly, he said this, he sent. So he said to them, pray ye, ask the Lord of the harvest to send forth laborers or workers for the harvest is plenteous. My problem is the workers are too few. So he sent. I wonder am I talking to somebody? Whom God is saying to you, it's, it's time to get off the sidelines and to get in the game. He sent. And then when I'm praying and asking the Lord of the harvest to send laborers into the vineyard, be willing to be the answer to your own prayers. And he'll send you just like he sent someone after me. And after you, he'll use you. So if you close with me, I'll try to go to my seat. So you repeat this after me, all these points, and then I'm almost through. He went. He went. Yeah, let's do it with vim, vigor, and vitality. <laughs> all the way up here. He went. He went. He saw. He saw. He acted. He said, he said, and he sent. He sent. Let me close with this. You know who's sending us? The Lord of the harvest. Do you know who the Lord of the harvest is? He's God. He can do what he wants to do, when he wants to do it, whatever, with whom he wants to do it, and nobody can stop him. That's who is sending us. That's the power we have behind us. He's the Lord of the harvest. I almost feel like preaching. He was Adam's redeemer and Abel's vindicator. He was Eve's forgiver and Cain's executioner. He's the Lord of the harvest. He was Noah's ark, Abraham's land, Sarah's laughter, Isaac's inheritance, Jacob's promise, Joseph's dream, Pharaoh's nightmare. He's the Lord of the harvest. He was Moses' rod, Aaron's high priest, Miriam's song and dance, Joshua's sword and shield. He's the Lord of the harvest. That's who we have behind us. So listen, I love the words of Cynthia Clawson, who said and wrote, there is peace and contentment in my father's house today. Lots of food on the table. No one is turned away. There's singing and there's laughter 
as the hours pass by, but a hush calms the scene as the father sadly cries, my house is full, but my fields are empty. Who will go and work for me today? It seems my children all want to stay around my table and no one wants to work in my field. But push away from the table and look out through the window pane for just behind this house of plenty, there lies a field of golden grain and it's ripe for the harvest, but the reapers, where are they? They're in the house as the father Sadly says, my house is full, but my fields are empty. Who will go and work for me today? It seems my children all want to stay around my table, but no one wants to work in my field. He went. He saw. If I'm honest, sometimes I don't go because I don't want to know. He acted with the totality of the gospel. And he said, it's important what we say. And then he sent. And when I do that, DuPage will never be the same. West Chicago will never be the same. Wheaton Bible will never be the same. It won't be easy as you are aspiring to be this church of multi-ethnic expression to meet the needs of the kingdom. But you know who you got behind you? The Lord of the harvest. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Oh, gracious God, our Father, thank you for this church. Thank you for Pastor Booth and for the officers and staff who are embarking on this mission to be the kind of church that you want them to be in West Chicago, in DuPage County. A church that reflects nations, tongues, and tribes. Thank you that they're on the cutting edge. Bless them as they pioneer. May they not get weary in well-doing. For in due season they'll reap if they faint not. I lift them up to you and all that makes them who they are. In the strong and perfect name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, do we pray. In fact, we praise you in advance for what you're going to do into and through them, not only for Chicago, but the nation at large as it looks. Amen.